Good morning, church. God's word to us today comes from 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 18. 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 18. Here in just a moment, we'll be reading verses 18, 19, and 20 for our text this morning. Now, there's, there's a preacher in Cleveland, Ohio. His name's Alistair Begg. And a few years ago, he preached a sermon in which probably a three to four minute section of that sermon became really, really popular. And it still makes its way around the internet. You might have even seen this. He talks about the concept of feeling versus knowing in worship. Feeling versus knowing in worship. All right? Now, know that this preacher, Alistair Begg, he's He's Scottish. He's got a Scottish accent. So this sounds way better when he tells it right, to an American audience. But he tells a story of visiting a large church in California. And at this church, there's you know, really fancy lights. There's really big screens. And there's a countdown going on when he walks in, as some big churches often do, to the time when they're going to start their worship service. And he sits down and he gets ready to worship. And he's excited to worship because he's a preacher. And just so you know, when you're a preacher and you get to just go to church, it's a great thing. But when he's there, he's waiting for the, the service to start. And it starts counting down from, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7. And finally, the worship leader walks out. And he's the one who is charged with leading the worship service that day and beginning the worship service that day. And he starts out like this. He leans over into the microphone and he says, Hey, how do y'all feel this morning? Well, and this preacher, Alistair Begg, he said, well, I could have just gone home right there. That was so good. You know, and he's being sarcastic. But he says, what kind of New Testament question is that? How do you feel? He says, if I were honest and I told you how I feel in light of this past week and in light of what happened this morning, you'd question whether I was even a Christian at all, how I feel. He said, all the songs were about our feelings And he says, don't make me sing songs about how I feel. At half past eight on a Sunday morning, he says, I'm barely ambulatory. I can't start there. He says, you want me to say all these nice, sweet feelings that I have this morning. And he goes into this little little rant on how... Uh, you know, he, he kicked the dog and he got in an argument over somebody who stole his parking space and he didn't read his Bible and he's arguing with his family on the way to church and he's a miserable, miserable wretch and he spilt his coffee. And he says, you ask me how I feel. I feel, I feel horrible. I feel miserable. What do you got for me? And he says, the answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. Christianity is not about how we feel. It's about what we know. Don't ask me how I feel. Ask me what I know. What do I know that is a balm for my soul this morning? What do I know that can give me an encouragement in this week that I'm about to have to face? What do I know to be true that can help me, that can help my heart? Let's read our text this morning. 1 John chapter 5. God's word to us says in verse 18, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know 
that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This morning, we're going to look at three different things that John highlights in this passage today. Three different things. He highlights knowing, he highlights remembering or reminding, and he highlights revealing. Knowing, reminding, and revealing. And these are our three themes this morning as we pull out our lessons that I believe God has for us out of this text this morning. But first, John is highlighting the importance of knowing in the Christian life. Knowing. He says, we know, we know, we know, three times. A fourth, he says, Jesus has come so that we may know him who is true. Four different times in these three verses. In the book of 1 John alone, in the book of 1 John alone, just this one book, 34 different times John talks about what we know to be true. In the 27 books of the New Testament as a whole, together, over 300 times The New Testament talks about what we know to be true, reminding us of what we know, stressing what we know. Contrast that over 300 times. Contrast that with how many times we see the words feel, feelings, or felt in the New Testament. Of all 27 books, those words only occur a total of nine times versus over 300 times. God and his apostles talk to us about what we know. And so the emphasis is clear. God is more concerned with what you know than with what you feel. He is more concerned with what you know than what you feel. Why? Because our feelings are not reliable guides. Right? Our feelings are not reliable guides. A few months ago, Adam Shepard, our youth minister, preached a sermon on this very topic titled, What Are We Led By? And very capably showed us we are not to be led by our feelings. We base our assurance, our assurance of salvation is based on the truth of what we know, not the roller coaster of our feelings. All right. Throughout 1 John, throughout this book that we've been going over verse by verse by verse for so long now, throughout 1 John, John the Apostle has given us biblical ways for us to know whether or not we are truly saved. And remember the theme verse of 1 John? Remember the theme verse. Look back in your Bibles. Verse 13 of this very chapter. Chapter 5, verse 13. The theme verse of 1 John. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? so that you may know that you have eternal life. In his commentary on 1 John, Colin Cruz writes this. He says, The striking thing about the bases of Christian assurance in 1 John is that they all appear to be related to objective rather than subjective criteria. All the bases of Christian assurance, all the tests that John has given us in this book, they all seem to be related to objective rather than subjective criteria. In other words, it's all related to things that we know, things that are observable, things that other people can look at and see in you, not how you feel on the inside. Your assurance of your salvation is based on what you know to be true, based on objective things that are outside of you, that people can see. 
If your assurance this morning of your salvation is based on how you feel, you must be going through a really hard time. You must have it really hard in your mind and in your heart if your assurance of salvation is based on you feel how you feel. One minute you're saved because you've been doing good and you've been obedient, and the next minute you've lost your salvation because you've messed it up. And then and you're saved again because you do good for a while, and then you lose your salvation again because you've sinned again. I pity the person whose assurance is based on how they feel. Won't you lay that burden down? It's unbearable. Won't you lay it down? Christianity is essentially truth. That's essentially what Christianity is. It's a religion of knowledge. Yes, we engage the heart. Yes, we engage the feelings and the emotion. Yes, God does care about how you feel. But we get at the heart and the emotions. God gets at your emotions through your mind, through truth. We want emotions and affections that are based on the truth that we read in God's Word, not emotion for emotion's sake. John Piper, in one of his books, writes this, When Christians gather for worship, the aim of those who lead must be to put before the mind of the worshipers the truest, clearest views of God possible, so as to awaken in the heart of the worshipers the purest and most suitable affections toward God. You get what he's saying there? When we come to worship, our goal, our goal is to focus our minds on the truest and clearest views of God possible, so that our hearts will then have proper affections based on proper truth. Not emotion for emotion's sake. So yes, we engage the heart or the feelings or the affections, but only through the mind. Yes, it's a religion, Christianity, of actions. Right? James tells us, don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, right? It's a religion of actions, yes. But all of those actions are a response to truth. Every action that you are called to do in the Bible is a response to something you know to be true. This whole thing, this whole thing that we're doing, this whole thing that we're staking our eternity on, it's based on good news, is it not? It's based on good news. Knowledge of something that has happened, and that knowledge changes everything. That knowledge changes everything. Back in 98, this is a while back for me at least, but in 98 there was a, a really good movie that came out. It's kind of a brilliant concept for a movie, I thought, but it's called The Truman Show. Anybody ever see this movie, The Truman Show? Jim Carrey starred. The concept of the movie is this. From the time Truman, Jim Carrey's character, from the time he was born, he was the star of a reality show, and he didn't know it. Because this elaborate system of actors and cameras, hidden cameras, and this whole big production studio that encompassed his entire world was set up for the sole purpose of this person being the star of a reality show his entire life. And he doesn't know anything about it. He's just living life, he thinks. But the entire world is fascinated and is watching to see his life because, you know, they, they see themselves in him. It's fascinating for them to watch. Until one day, as he's an adult and he's walking along the sidewalk, a production light falls from the sky out of nowhere and hits the ground right beside him. 
And he starts to think, that, that's odd. And slowly but surely, little mistakes have, start to happen. Little things start to happen to let Truman know that this isn't what he thought it was. Slowly but surely, he comes to the realization that he is actually in the midst of this big, elaborate hoax. Now, part of this hoax was they made him afraid of water when he was a young man. So that's how they kept him in the production studio, this big, huge production studio. It's like an island that he lives on, and he's afraid of water, so he never ventures outside of the island. He never gets outside of it. That's how they keep him where he's at, so they can keep having their TV show without him knowing. But once he figures this out, once he starts to realize this is not real, well, that knowledge changes everything for him. And now, all of a sudden, for the rest of the movie, his goal is to get out. His goal is to overcome his fear. His goal is to figure out what is out there beyond this fake world that they have set up. And then they're trying to keep him in, right? So it's knowledge that changes everything. That's what Christianity is based on. It's based on knowledge. And once you get that knowledge, that good news changes everything. But John also stresses this morning in our passage, he stresses the importance of reminding. Reminding. He says, we know, we know, we know. Why does he keep saying we know? Well, what's he doing? He's reminding his readers about truths that they already know. Right? We know. He's reminding them things that they already know. Reminding them of something that's important, that they need to keep in the forefront of their minds, that they don't need to forget. And we need this as well. As human beings, we need to be reminded of the truth time and time and time and time again. We need constant reinforcement of the truth. How many educators do we have in this room and how many students or former students do we have in here that, that know repetition is one of the most effective forms of learning, is it not? You remember what you repeat. Repetition is such an effective form of learning. A couple years ago, we were sitting in our house on a Sunday afternoon in Lexington. I think our daughter Jordan was five, maybe four, probably five. And my wife was going over with her one of those sheets that she got from her Sunday school class to try to reinforce the lesson that she had learned in Sunday school, right? And I think they were talking about one of the Ten Commandments. I forget which one it is, but Jennifer is trying to reinforce this to Jordan, right? My little daughter. And Jennifer is going over it with her. Now, by way of preface, if you've never seen the Lord of the Rings movies, you're not going to get this illustration, right? So you have to go look it up later. But if you've seen them, you'll understand what I'm saying. So Jennifer's going over the, the Ten Commandments with Jordan. And the first one is something that says, you shall not. I don't remember what it was, but she goes over it with Jordan. She says, okay, Jordan, you shall not. And Jordan, as innocent as can be, just looks up and says, pass? Go look it up if you don't understand it. But we dropped, uh, we dropped on the floor laughing when that happened. And to our shame, to our shame, I guess our daughter had seen the Lord of the Rings movies and heard the wizard Gandalf saying, you shall not pass more times than she had heard the Ten Commandments or something. But the repetition, right? This is what was in her head. It was as innocent as could be. She just thought, she just thought that's what you say after you shall not. You shall not pass, Okay. But it's repetition. Repetition is one of the most effective forms of human learning. We're human. We have, we have doubts, right? We have doubts that creep in. You can know something up here and yet doubt it in here. We have doubts that creep in because we're humans. We need to have our, our doubts corrected, constantly corrected, 
with the truth. We've constantly got to be correcting our doubts with the truth. Right? Just as, as another example in my personal life, Jennifer and I, my wife, we are vastly different in how often we need to hear the words, I love you, from one another. Okay? Jennifer needs to hear it consistently. She needs to hear it. I love you. I love you. I love you. Sometimes she'll ask me, like, don't you need me to say it too? And I'm like, has anything changed since the last time you told me? And she's like, no. And I'm like, okay, we're good. Right? But, but she's the normal one in that, sin, in that situation. She's the normal one. I'm, I'm the abnormal one. We need to be constantly reminded. We have to have our doubts constantly corrected by the truth. We've got to reinforce it to one another. And not only that, but we are prone to forget, are we not? We're prone to forget. We're prone to forget the truths of God. The Israelites in the Old Testament were required by the Lord to hold a number of feasts, celebrations, every year. Why? So that they would never forget what the Lord had done for them. They were required. God made them hold these feasts so that they would never forget what the Lord had done for them because we are prone to forget. What do we do the Lord's Supper for every week? It's a continual reminder of what happened. Do this in remembrance of me. Those feasts of the Israelites, they were times every single year, multiple times a year, for parents to sit down with their children. And the children asked, Mommy, Daddy, why are we doing this? And all of a sudden, it's an open door to teach, to teach your children the ways of the Lord. Mom and Dad, when are the times where you are teaching your kids the ways of the Lord? What times do you have in the rhythm of your family week where you are teaching your children the truths of God and reinforcing those truths to your kids. I'm I'm such a proponent of Sunday school. Parents, don't just bring your kids to the worship hour. Bring your kids to Sunday school. Why? Because every week they need instruction in the Lord. How many days a week do you take your kids to school? How many days a week do you put your kids on the bus? How much time do we spend, parents, working with our kids on their homework and the things that they need to learn? Why? So that they can get, grow up and get a good job and make some money and live as a citizen in this world? But let me tell you, we stake our eternity not on whether or not we know our multiplication tables. It's on whether or not we know the truths of God. Do we know Jesus Christ? It's infinitely more important, infinitely more important for your kids to know Jesus than for them to grow up and get a good job. It's infinitely more important. At the judgment day, you will not be asked whether you had a good job or not. Jesus will wonder whether you knew him or not. This is infinitely more important. I would deeply encourage you to not just come to Sunday morning service, come to Sunday school, Wednesday night Bible study. But more than that, parents, what are we doing on our own? What are we doing to teach our kids the truths of the Lord? Not just pass them off to the youth minister, but to teach our kids the truths of God's word. I'm here to tell you, parents, this is not as hard as it seems because it's scary sometimes. It really is. If you haven't done this before with your kids, it can be overwhelming. It can be daunting, but it's not as hard as it seems. My wife and I, I mean, I'm a minister, and all we do 
is at night before our kids go to bed, we open up a kid's story Bible, we read one story, and we pray with them. That's all we do, y'all. Now, we talk about the things of God as they come up in everyday life, yeah, but all we do actively is that. And you would be so surprised, so surprised, how much that can do for your kids to help them to know the Lord. D.A. Carson once said, it only takes three generations to lose the gospel. It only takes three generations to lose the gospel. One generation believes it. The next generation assumes it. And the third generation denies it altogether. Don't be that second generation in your family that assumes the gospel, that just assumes your kids are going to catch it. You cannot leave this to chance. This is the salvation, the eternal salvation of your kids. You cannot leave this to chance. We have to actively teach one another, remind one another, reinforce one another of the truths of God. Adults, we have to remind and reinforce it to one another ourselves, not just parents to kids, but adults to adults. I'm a preacher, and I need y'all to preach to me. I need you guys to preach to me. I need you guys to speak God's truth into my life from time to time, because there's going to be plenty of times where I need it. I'm a human being, right? We need to speak God's truth into one another's lives, because we need constant reminding. Now, finally this morning, in verse 20, John emphasizes revealing Revealing, And when I say revealing, I'm not necessarily talking about what John is revealing to us, but what John tells us that Jesus came to reveal to us. Look at verse 20. In verse 20, John says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that, so that, okay, a little, little sidebar here. When you're reading through your New Testament, anytime you see the words so that or because or for, perk up. And then try to find the connection between what comes after and what comes before. It's a great way to grow in your knowledge of the Lord. So Jesus has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. So that we may know him who is true. Jesus has come so that we may know God. So that we may know God. Jesus reveals God the Father to us. Two times in the New Testament. John the Apostle says, no one has ever seen God. Two times he says that. No one's ever seen God. We read in 1 Timothy, God is invisible. He dwells in unapproachable light. You can't see God. And so how are we going to know him? Well, he reveals himself to us in various ways. Through the scriptures and through his son, Jesus Christ. He reveals himself through Jesus. And so we look at Jesus and we see what God is like. So in Colossians 1.15, we read that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. How are you going to see what's invisible? You look at Jesus. He is the perfect image of God. Or in Hebrews, the very first verses of Hebrews, Hebrews 1.3, it says Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. The exact imprint of his nature. And so, John, if you remember all the way back to the first sermon that we had on this book, John has started off this book of 1 John saying, Jesus came, 
And we were witnesses to this. We were eyewitnesses. We were with him. We touched him. We heard him. And now John ends his letter by saying, Jesus came so that we would know God. In John 14, Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus replies, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, why is this important for you today? In November 2019, why is this important for you today? Well, two big reasons. Number one, because eternal life is knowing God. Knowing God is what eternal life is. In John 17, 3, Jesus tells us, he's actually praying to God here, and he says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Did you see that? Did you catch that? Jesus said eternal life is knowing God. Knowing God, that's what eternal life is. So what are the implications of that? Well, here's one. If you have no interest in knowing God now, what makes you think you will be happy in heaven? If you have no interest in knowing God now, eternal life is knowing God. That's what it is. What makes you think you'll be happy in heaven if you don't have any interest in knowing God now? But on the flip side, there's a great encouragement here. You do not have to wait till you die to experience eternal life. You can experience a taste of eternal life now by seeking to know the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, I have tasted it, and it is good. You can know the Lord and experience a taste of eternal life now, and it is greater than any pleasure that you have tasted, I guarantee it. It is greater than any pleasure that you have tasted. And if you want eternal life, if you want eternal life, since eternal life is knowing God and Jesus is the one who reveals God, that means if you want eternal life, you have to come through Jesus. You can't get eternal life apart from Jesus. You can't know God apart from Jesus. And knowing God is eternal life. You have to come through Jesus. Jesus. So this is important because eternal life is knowing God. But this is also important. The fact that Jesus shows us God is also important because he doesn't just show us the character of God. He doesn't just show us the attributes of God. Jesus showed us the heart of God when he was on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he was showing us the heart of God, the love of God. On the cross, we see a God who is willing to punish his own son, to pour out his wrath on his own son for you. We see a God who is willing to give his son the most horrific punishment there could have ever been, that it would eventually lead to his son's death for you. Jesus reveals to us the heart of God. One of my favorite worship songs says, How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he gave his only son that if you would believe in him, you would not perish, 
so you would have eternal life. We pray with me. Oh Lord, remind us of what we know. I pray that you would sear this on our hearts. I pray that you would plant this truth deep within us. I pray that you would help us to never forget. Help us to remind one another. I pray that you would help us to to know you through your word because our feelings betray us. I pray that we would know you through your son, Jesus, who has revealed you to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, our Lord. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word and through your son, Jesus, whom we can read about in your word. Thank you for the truth that changes everything. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.